In John chapter 4, we, have, we see the second of Jesus' signs. Now, you remember last week, we began a series saying we want to see Jesus. And I hope that's what you've come to do this morning. That desire is to come to see Jesus. This is not for us to come this morning to see a preacher. It's not for us to come to see a worship leader. This is not for us to come to see each other. It's not for us to come see a Sunday school teacher. This morning, as we gather in this place... I believe God wants us to come to see his son, Jesus, and how he would impact our lives. Now, John presents Christ to us, obviously, as all of the other gospel writers do, but John does it in a specific way. What he does, at least in the first 11 chapters, is he he lays out these signs. There are seven signs that John lays out for us so that we can clearly see who Jesus is and see how his Messiahship will affect us. Now, we looked at the first last week, the water to wine. And now today we see the second one that is numbered for us in Scripture, the nobleman's son healed. I want to talk to you about a sign of life this morning. In John chapter 4, begin reading with me, if you will. Read silently along as I read aloud. It says, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water to wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. Now, notice John, in a sense, says we've come full circle. In so many ways, John says Jesus now has come full circle, from chapter 2 at least. Remember, in chapter 2, he was at Cana of Galilee, and it was there as he was attending a wedding that he performed his first miracle, the beginning of miracles in Jesus' life. And then, as you see, as you continue to read in John's account, you'll see where Jesus goes, and he has this encounter with Nicodemus. Before that, he had cleansed the temple. He had demonstrated that he was superior to the Judaism of the day. He had, again, encountered Nicodemus. He had heard John the Baptist affirm his Messiahship. He had met with a Samaritan woman in John 4. All of these things had occurred. And now it's like we're back to Cana of Galilee. We've made the circle. We're back to see what God is continuing to do in Jesus' life. And the scripture says that as he is there at Cana of Galilee, that there's a certain nobleman that is from Capernaum that comes to seek out Jesus for help. Now, this is not the Roman centurion of the other gospels, I don't believe. This is an individual who is a royal official. Perhaps he was a tax collector, most probably though. He was in the court of Herod Antipas. And here he was seeking help. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard that Jesus could do some things, that Jesus could do miracles, that Jesus could heal people, that Jesus could take care of things. So he came to Jesus. Perhaps perhaps it was 
some of those servants that knew what Jesus had done at that wedding. I mean, come on, it's hard to keep some things quiet, right? Right? You know what it's like when certain things happen, even in smaller towns. It's like you know that it happened before it even happened. I can imagine some of those servants at that wedding. I mean, they must have taken to Facebook and Twitter. They must have told everybody. They must have texted people and emailed people. Let me tell you about what happened today at the wedding. In any case, word had spread. And the scripture says back in chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, that Jesus had done a lot of miracles during the Passover days. And somehow that word had begun to spread. So this nobleman, this uh, royal official, this guy, probably from Herod Antipas' court, he comes to Jesus, he comes to Jesus seeking help for his son. Now I think this story turns on two summary statements. I want to give you today two summary statements that I think this story turns on and also that help us identify who Jesus is. The first one is this. Notice what Jesus says in verse 48. As Jesus looks to the nobleman, he says, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Let me summarize Jesus' statement as I see it related to this text. Jesus basically says, I have not come to entertain, but I have come to give life. Write that down. Jesus said, and Jesus continues to say today, that I do not come to entertain, I come to give life. Now, again, Jesus looks and he says, you all, here in this scripture it says, all of you people are you people. It is plural, it means you all. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, John was not against signs. And interpreting signs. John was not against that. Actually, in this passage, we see a sign. As I told you in the first 11 chapters, you have seven signs. Signs are what? A sign is a miracle with a message. You better have that down. I'm going to ask you again next week. A sign is a miracle with a message. And there's nothing wrong with a sign. But in this passage, John uses a word... Jesus uses the word wonders, the only time that it's used in this gospel. And it speaks more about the sensational. It speaks more about some great feat that the people wanted to be entertained. They wanted to be placed in awe. They wanted to just be placed in their own wonder about who Jesus was. They wanted to be entertained. And what Jesus said was, it seems like all of you just want to be entertained. But I've not, come, I've not come just to entertain. You know, it's amazing how people's attitudes can change. Actually, in verses 43 through 45 of this chapter, it says that Jesus comes back into Galilee, and we know that at Nazareth he was rejected. A prophet is, has no honor in his hometown. And at Nazareth, he was rejected. But now, in this passage, it says the Galileans come around and they're celebrating Jesus. At one point, he had been rejected. Then, at another point, he's being celebrated. Galileans must be another name for Baptist, right? One moment we celebrate, 
Just kidding. Don't get too upset this morning. But they they begin to celebrate Jesus. Why? Because they begin to see things he's doing. They like to hear about how he's doing these great things. And they want to see him do great things. And they want to see these miracles. They want to be entertained. In In the Gospel of Matthew, the scribes and the Pharisees look at Jesus and they say to him, we would like to see a sign. We want to see you do something, Jesus. Do something for us. As if Jesus had not already performed miracles and signs. But we, we want to see you do something. And Jesus said it was an evil and adulterous generation that would seek after a sign. Later on it would be Herod. As he would sit in judgment of Jesus that as he would look at Jesus, that he would long to see Jesus do something for entertainment value. Remember, the scripture says that Herod had long wanted to see what Jesus could do. He had heard about those things, and Herod, for him, he just wanted to see. It wasn't a true seeking of Christ. It was more of, let's see what he can do. Let's be entertained. And you know, it seems that many of us, We want Jesus to do something for us. We want to be entertained. We are a people of entertainment. We love to be entertained, right? We love. I mean, I'm looking at the monitor back there. It's television. And and that, it seems so, it still seems kind of large. I can read it pretty well. How many of us got those in our homes, huh? Absolutely. We like to be entertained. How many of us like to watch baseball games and football games? And That's right. Ole Miss all the way, right? I can see it in your eyes and in your heart. It's growing, it's growing, that devotion. You like to watch tech, you like to watch Grambling. There are all kinds of schools we like to watch. We like to be entertained. There's something within us. And perhaps... The nobleman, as he's coming, and his initial, his initial seeking Jesus, it would seem to others. Now, Jesus knows, but it would seem to others that he's just coming because he wants to see another miracle. He just wants to see something else. And Jesus says, I want you to know, I'm not come to entertain. I was studying this. I went back and was reading some of the other chapters over the past couple of days. I shared this with Leslie. I began reading John 2 again and looking at verses 23 and 20 through 25. And there John said something interesting. He said, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. There were many people that saw the sign, the miracle with the message, and they had faith. But verse 24 says, But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Isn't that an interesting statement? That Jesus did signs and there were people that believed but there was still a point where he did not commit his full identity, his full messiahship, partly because the hour had not come, you remember, But he does not commit himself. He does not do all these things because he knows how men are. 
He knows what's in our hearts. He knows how we seek so often for entertainment purposes or for beneficial purposes. In John 6, for example, we're going to look at this sign when Jesus feeds the crowd, the multitude. And it says that after he feeds them, the next day the people seek him. Why do they seek him? They seek him not to worship him. They seek him not for his identity. Jesus says, you have come and you have followed me because I have filled your stomachs. I fed you. And now you come because you want me to feed you again. Unfortunately, we have built a lot of our churches, a lot of our religious structure today on this idea of what can Jesus do for you now in the way of entertaining or feeding or taking care of you and whatever you want in your life. Now, while I believe God can do some amazing things, and Christ can in our lives, he provides for us, he takes care of us, we know that, we know that. God never called us to follow him just for entertainment value. God never called us to follow him just so that we could come and each day have our stomachs filled. There are going to be days when we see tough moments. And oftentimes, during those tough moments, you see those who have been following him simply for the pleasure, simply for what he could do. Jesus, what can you do for me today? You see them begin to fall away in those tough moments because the commitment is to Jesus entertaining or feeding or taking care and not to Jesus who is the Christ, who is the Lord of all, who wants our pure devotion through every moment of our lives. So Jesus says, I have not come to entertain. I have come to give life. You're going to see that life expressed in this miracle. He says, I've come to give life. And may I say this to you today? As I preach and as I teach, and as we come together as a church... The focus should never be on entertainment and pleasure and just what we think we want. The emphasis, the focus should always be on the life of Jesus Christ and the life that can penetrate us, the life that we can experience. Because entertainment does not save anyone, but faith through Christ always does. Never forget that. Jesus looks and he says, I have not come to entertain. But in a sense, as you look at the context of this story, he says, I come to give life. Now notice the nobleman's response because I say to you that there are two summary statements that I believe this story turns upon. There are two summary statements that speak to the identity of Christ. The first being Jesus saying, I have not come to entertain, but I have come to give life. Notice what the nobleman says in verse 49. He said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Basically, what the nobleman is going to say here is I have not come to be entertained. I have come to experience life. Notice what he says. 
I've not come just to see what you're saying. I want you to know that I need you to come down before my child dies. Can you hear his heart? Can you hear the emotion of this cry? Come down. Now this nobleman, who was perhaps there in the court of Herod Antipas, he was determined to seek Jesus and to find help for his son. He was determined. How can you say that, Brother Reggie? Well, partly because of the distance he had traveled. There, is, there are approximately 20 miles between Capernaum and Cana of Galilee. About 20 miles. Now, some people said, well, he was rich. He probably rode around. No, not from the context of this story. Not as you see the timing of his going back. and how He must have walked. Walked. 20 miles. Is that not incredible? Well, you know, <clears throat> that's not too much for me. You know, I, <clears throat> I exercise rigorously daily. Whatever. 20 miles. I tell you what, it's a, it's a task for some of us, you know, just to kind of get to the mailbox and back sometime, right? We're not much more motivated than that. 20 miles he walks. He was determined to go see Jesus. He had heard and he went to seek out Jesus. Why? Because his child was dying. Some of the most precious things in life are children. Wouldn't you agree? Some of the most frustrating things in life are our children. Would you agree? But they can bring so much joy. It can be those moments of true celebration and joy with our children. And you also know there can be moments of brokenness. I really believe our children can touch us in areas that other people cannot. Now look, I believe um, that our first priority is to our spouse and we love them and certainly our earthly relationship. But there's something about our children that can touch us when it seems like nothing else can. Especially in difficult days. Especially in difficult days days look i don't know many of us in this place that wouldn't do everything we could if our child needed us if our child was was sick our child was going through difficulty i don't know many of us in this place that wouldn't do whatever if it took walking 20 miles we'd walk 20 miles and that is the heart of this nobleman he is coming to experience life. He doesn't want to be entertained. Look, at this point, entertainment is not going to help him. Just Jesus performing some wonder before him, that's not going to help him. What, the, what he wants more than anything is for his child to experience life. And you can tell again in this passage, because according to this, the, the words and the terms of this passage, it was as though he continually, he persistent persistently begged Jesus. It was present tense, ongoing. That is that he called out and he said, 
Sir, come down. Notice Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. The heart of the nobleman was to see life for his child. He was determined to do it. He was persistent in his request. He called out to Jesus. He wanted to experience life. He had exhausted basically every resource that he had had. Now get this. The nobleman had possession. He had many possessions. The nobleman had position. The nobleman had relationships. He had all kinds of things. And yet he had exhausted all of them. Again, he didn't, he, he couldn't pay enough to bring healing to his child. He couldn't use his influence enough to bring healing to his child. He is at his wit's end. He is coming to Jesus. And look, again, if we had all unlimited resources, we would do everything we could for our child, well, couldn't we? Wouldn't we? We'd pay, we'd give up all our possessions. We'd pay, we'd do whatever. Relationships, again, if he was in the court of Herod Antipas. Think of all the connections he could have had. He could have looked at Herod and said, hey, I need some help. I need you to take care of some things and make some calls for me so that we can get my child taken care of. But guess what? His influence, his possessions, his position could not bring healing to his child. He had exhausted it all. Some of us have been there, haven't we? Some of us have been right there where he is. And he comes to Jesus. I find this rather fascinating too. That most likely, I'm not going to push this too much, but I'm going to say most likely, this nobleman was a Sadducee. Most likely, he was a Sadducee. Well, what's the emphasis of that? Well, Sadducees really didn't believe in miracles. Sadducees were the, were the cream of the crop. They were the high priests. They were the aristocracy. They were the noble people. That, the Pharisees were more the lay folks. The Sadducees were those who were a little more wealthy, had more position. Most likely he was a Sadducee. And Sadducees didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in resurrections. They didn't believe in healings. They didn't believe in all that. I remember my professor at colleges he talked about them and they're not believing the resurrection and miracles he said that's the reason they're sad you see you like that one don't you <laughs> remember that always they were the sadducees so look if and i'm not going to push it too much but if he's a sadducee and if he's never believed in a miracle if he's never believed in the supernatural and yet here he is coming before jesus Often the phrase has been used, there are not many atheists in foxholes. And here in this case, the guy that has not believed before in miracles and all of those other things, he is begging for one. Again, why? The motivation, love of his child. has brought him to this point. And as I said, Jesus looks at the nobleman, says, go your way. Go take care of your business. Your son lives. Present tense, your son lives. He is living. 
He has life. Verse 50, it says again, so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Now, is this salvation faith at this point? I'm going to say to you, at least God is pleased here at this point with faith. He believes, and the evidence of that belief is that he went. It's one thing to say that you believe. It's another thing to take action and go. So it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Verse 51, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Familiar? The exact words that Jesus spoke. Jesus said, your son is living. Your son lives right now. When the nobleman meets his servant, his servant, can you imagine this scene? As they're walking and the servant sees the nobleman and certainly begins to run toward him, shouting, your son lives. Your son lives. Verse 52, it says, he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. Some people reckon that it was 1 p.m. the day before. Some try to debate the time and talk about whether it was 1 or whether it was 7 or all these kinds of things. The key to this, it was at the very same moment when Jesus spoke, your son lives. This wasn't coincidence. It wasn't happenstance. It was Jesus Christ demonstrating his power and his work in the young man's life. Because again, Jesus had come not to entertain, but to give life. He's going to bring life here. And what is incredible, get this, what is incredible is Jesus does not have to be physically present to bring life. Here, he's, he's at a distance. He just speaks and there's life. Jesus can be physically absent and there can still be healing. I think that's powerful, don't you? Now, listen to me this morning. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God indwells me. I believe that. I believe in real presence, the real presence of God within me and within you. I believe the real presence of God to be experienced here among us this morning. So I take nothing away from that. But we also know that Jesus is not physically here with us this morning. The next time that he is physically here on this earth, it'll be at his return. And what a day that's going to be. But what this says to me as I think about experiencing Jesus' life, that he came to give life, is that he does not have to be here physically in order to give life or to bring healing. He doesn't have to be here physically. He can simply speak and there's healing. Now, he may choose to do it in his own way. When you look at the Gospel of John, you'll see that there are different ways in which Jesus will bring healing. But here at this point, 
He doesn't have to be there physically. Do you know how comforting that is to me as a minister? And how comforting it should be to you? Look, when I'm standing by a hospital bed, and Jesus may not be in the room physically, I still believe he has the power to work in that individual's life. When I pray and ask God to work in his life, I believe there's power through Christ. When there are people who come to me, and they speak to me about their relationships and broken relationships, perhaps it's in the marriage, perhaps it is with a rebellious child, when I hear them speak about that, I know that Jesus may not be there in that room physically, but I believe that Jesus has the power to bring healing and life to those relationships. When I stand by the casket at a funeral, I may not see Jesus physically standing by me, but I believe that there is a power to comfort and bring peace and to bring grace to a family and to bereaved ones that only he can do. And he can do it, even though he's not physically present. And may I say this to you this morning? I believe that this morning in this place, that you come, perhaps you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've thought about it, and you've mulled over it, and you've wrestled with it, I believe that when you come and you have faith in him, he may not be here physically to embrace you or welcome you, but I say to you that he still has the power to save you, to bring eternal life to you. Because he does not have to be physically present to bring healing and life. That is the power of the Christ that we serve. And it says that this nobleman, he himself believed in his whole household he had faith well dr reggie i thought you said he had faith in verse 50 we did but can you imagine how this faith now has just exploded how it has grown exponentially as he has seen the word of christ Fulfilled. He believed and he turned out to be an evangelist. It says his whole household believed. Because, see, that's the key in the Gospel of John is belief which brings life. Remember, it's in the Gospel of John that Jesus will say that I came to bring life and to bring it what? More abundantly. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, where we're going to get to on Easter Sunday. Whereas it it says that these things are written. These things are written. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Because the signs of the Gospel of John, the signs that we see in the New Testament, are not given to us simply for entertainment purposes. They are given to us to inspire and encourage faith. Much more importantly, to show us who Christ Jesus is, the one who can and will bring life as we trust him. Today, would you see this Jesus that I'm presenting to you? Would you believe him? For those of you 
that do need to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, would you come and would you trust Him today? For those of you who are just going through those moments of life, those difficult moments where it seems that you've exhausted all of your energy, all of your connections, you've exhausted all of your wisdom, would you be reminded today and would you place your faith in the Christ that can give life even though he may not be physically here? Would you sense the presence of Christ and would you trust him today?